Shalom. Thank you for listening to this podcast of the Jayberg Wilk Learning Series. I am Shmuley Yanklowitz, President and Dean of Valley Beit Midrash. Here at VBM, we strive to bring you only the highest quality of Jewish learning. Bringing pluralistic and innovative Jewish programming to the Jewish community that craves substance and insight is our passion, but we cannot do it alone. To support our endeavors, please consider donating a tax-deductible contribution to our organization. By doing so, you will be supporting meaningful Jewish educational content, funding the next generation of leaders, as well as furthering Jewish wisdom to people all over the country and all over the world. Please visit www.valleybatemadrash.org. Thank you so much and enjoy the program. Jewish sources have to say about what it means to be a parent and about your responsibility as a parent. You know, it's strange because in this moment in time, we hear a lot about continuity, about raising children, how important it is. For better or for worse, we hear a lot about it. And yet when you go back through the ancient sources, there's surprisingly little. And that really struck me when I was starting to think about working on this topic, because both in modern Jewish theology and in late antique uh, Jewish texts, there's surprisingly little. We actually have a fair amount, as uh, some people may know, about what it means to be a child toward a parent. There's all kinds of um, instructions. Some of them are quite famous, uh, including one of the Ten Commandments, Kaved et Avicha Vietimecha, right? Honoring parents is right up there. And there's all kinds of um, elaborations on how you do that, and also on Yira, on awe of your parent. And um, in fact, in the Talmud, we have an extensive discussion about what it means to honor. It's very practical, actually. It's very practical. It means, for instance, not standing in your father's place, not sitting at his place, not contradicting his his father's words. I'm reading glossing here from the Talmud, Kiddushin 31b. Um, And uh, it also means feeding them, sustaining them in their old age, making sure that they're cared for, right? So very, very practical. Um, and when you get to the Rambam, to Maimonides' uh, Mishnah Torah, you get it sort of a, a synthesis of uh, many different passages and codes. And I'll just read this as an example to kind of walk us into what I see as sort of the problem that I was facing when I was starting to think about writing about parenthood. Okay, so this is the Mishnah Torah, um, and it's and Rambam writes, what is meant by fear and what is meant by honor? Fear is expressed by not standing in his place, not sitting in his place, not contradicting his words, nor offering an opinion that outweighs his. He should not call him by name, meaning by first name or, you know, something familiar, neither during his lifetime nor after his death. And what is meant by honor? Bring uh, one's parent food and drink, clothe them, cover them, uh, and use their own money to to do so. Um, If a father doesn't have financial resources and a son does, the son is compelled to sustain his father and his mother according to his capacity. He should bring him out and bring him home and serve him, now listen up here, in all the ways one serves a teacher. Similarly, he should stand before him as one stands before a teacher. Now, that really struck me, and it, I think, signals a kind of pattern that we 
that we find that I found as I was reading this literature. Because, you know, in a way, it's very strange, right? You should stand before one's fathers, one stands before the teacher. Actually, you should think, you would think it would be the other way around, right? You're instructing somebody how to honor your teacher. You say, stand before them as you would before your parent, right? But no, it doesn't say that. It does the reverse. It the Here, the teacher seems to be actually a model in this moment. Okay, so what that started to signal to me is that there's a lot to say about what, as a child, you're supposed to do toward your parents or for your parents, how you treat them, but very little about what you're expected to do or be as a parent. And here I want to also just sort of interrupt for a moment this gender-neutral language that is very familiar to us now, parent, even parenting as a verb. That's not really a word that even in English was very common until quite recently. And it certainly doesn't reflect the nature of these Jewish sources, right? They are very clear that what it means to be a father and what it means to be a mother a male parent, a female parent, these are very different things. So even when I gloss that as female parent, male parent, that's in a way whitewashing a pretty radical divide that we find in the sources. And so even as I've been going along sort of translating, yes, we do have honor your father and your mother, but in a lot of the literature that follows, such as what I just quoted, we're really talking about how you treat your father, and the teacher, of course, is also presumed to be male. Okay, so we're in a situation where the child who's being imagined is a son, and the parent who's being written about is a father. Okay, so that is, that's one level, is if I went into this, which I did, into this project, thinking how can I write about motherhood and mothering and what that work is all about in a Jewish context, well, I find very little having to do with parents in general and certainly very little to do with mothers. And even, in fact, what you're supposed to do for, uh, for your parent, as I, as I indicated for your father here, is quite complicated. So let me just um, kind of underscore that Rambam teaching that I just cited with a, um, a passage from a halachic uh, piece of literature in the Mishnah about, uh, or sorry, in the in the Gemara, about finding and returning lost objects. And here's the key passage, right? If if someone finds his own lost property and his father's lost property, his own takes priority, right? We're talking about who do you return stuff to um, first. If his own and that of his teacher, his own takes priority. If he found his father's and his teacher's, this is where you want to pay attention. His teacher's takes priority. Key passage, for his father brought him into this world, but his teacher, who taught him wisdom, brings him into the world to come. Okay, and then it kind of goes on, and there's some additional things we could say, but let's just leave it there for a moment. Notice here a pattern that um, a scholar of uh, late antique Judaism, Martin Jaffe, um, has written about in terms of the discipleship community. In a discipleship community such as that that the rabbis create, there's actually this effort to replace the quote-unquote natural kin or biological family or the family in which one is raised with the, the family, quote-unquote metaphorical family, of the teacher as the parent and the disciple as the son, right? So I, I, that 
that you're sort of rebuilding, reconstructing a familial-like relationship in the context of a bunch of sages, a bunch of teachers and students. And when you think about the context in which the rabbis are living, right, they're taking over from a very different model, a model of priesthood, which is transmitted genealogically, right? That is literally father to son. The rabbis who are creating a very different kind of Jewish community are not doing this father to son. They're doing it teacher to student. Okay, so this is a move, essentially, to replace the family with the metaphorical, the better, the new and improved family. And again, just to underscore, this is all very male, right? Fathers, sons, teachers, disciples. And we see this as well in a text that kind of lays it right out there in the Sifre Devarim. Uh, early. So just one uh, thought oh, yeah. that, if I may. Yeah. What, one, one interesting twist on this last Mishnah for, um, for some could be for adoptive parents or foster parents, just in the sense of um, um, is the primary relationship to a child bi- biological? Mm. And um, what does it mean for the primacy of a relationship actually to be the, 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 the moral guidance or structure as opposed to the biological? So that's kind of... Yeah, a, that's a beautiful yeah. connection. Yeah. I, I love that, right? Because, in fact, part of the challenge in writing about motherhood is that so many people, they write about gestation, yeah. birth giving, uh, yeah. right? And I really didn't want to do that. I want to write about the day-to-day work yeah, of caring right. for a child, which includes right. moral instruction, which includes, you know, and in some cases, a, a reparative experience, mm-hmm, right? Mm-hmm. So I, I love that. That's, that's, that's a really interesting connection. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Great. So, um, so we we have the Sifrei just basically lay it out. Um, and if you're interested in looking at this at home, it's Sifrei Devarim 34.4, um, where the text basically says in speaking about a passage in um, Malachim Bet in Second Kings, the sons, in all places you find the word sons, it means disciples. <laughs> okay. I mean, how could you, you can't get more clear than that. Sons, no, it doesn't really mean sons. It really means disciples. Okay. So, you know, in a way, thinking about this from the perspective of what does it mean to be a father? Well, actual fathers in a way are erased by this kind of metaphorical kin. Um, the people, and what I mean by that, actual fathers, I mean, in the context of trying to make this rabbinic literature kind of speak to the moment, right? We might say uh, a parent who has a certain set of expectations. What is his expectations? His expectations for the rabbis are to be involved in certain sort of key moments. It's not the day-to-day caregiving, but key moments. Even that even that is basically overridden by the family. And so it is, uh, sorry, by the, by the sage. Um, so all the more so when we start to think about looking for mothers in late antique literature. Where are they? Okay, and it's not that they're nowhere, but the kind of thing that I'm looking for is a language for giving, um, for helping us think about, like, what is that experience of day-to-day caregiving, right? Wiping and cuddling and putting to sleep and answering the calls in the night, etc. Nowhere, okay? So we see an example of this in a famous um, passage from, it's a, it's a Brita, it's um, a 
supposedly Tanaitic source that is cited in the Gemara, uh, Kiddushin 29a, where it says, a father is obligated with regard to his son. How? Okay. What are the things a father's obligated to do? Circumcise him, redeem him, teach him Torah, marry him to a woman, and to teach him a trade, and some say also to teach him to swim. Okay. On some level, lovely, right? few key moments. But then you think if you're looking for mothers, wow, who exactly is responsible for feeding this kid, right? For changing this kid, right? There is a invisibility of maternal labor here. And that is really striking to me. Um, again, I'm still working within this kind of heavily gendered framework. I am not speaking prescriptively that only women should feed and only women should do this or that or the other thing. I'm just talking within the world of these texts, there is no one doing that, right? This text presumes a kid has already been fed and cared for and so and so and so forth. Okay. Can I ask you a question there? Yeah, please. Do you think... Those of us who translate and teach texts, that we should translate them gender neutral. Should we should we translate this text as a parent is obligated to, um, um, or should we study it? Now, I'm not asking an application question. That idea that we should, in an egalitarian sense, both take on these responsibilities and privileges. But as as an intellectual learning activity, how do you think we should translate these texts? Great. I love that question. Um, I think the question is for what purpose, right? And so um, in my book, I sort of weave in and out because it's really important for the argument I'm making about the absence of this language to to translate it literally. And, and I think that for them, it is very Clearly a father, a father's teaching Torah, a father circumcising, or you get a moel to do the, the, um, this thing that is a father's responsibility, not a mother's. And I think you whitewash it if you just kind of do away with that. However, on a descriptive level, if we're translating it to try to say, how can I use this literature to speak to this moment? I think it's, I think it's legitimate to say, parent, but even if you do say parent, then you can still say, wait, I noticed no one's feeding this kid, mm-hmm. right? Is it a parent's responsibility to sustain a child? Yeah. Most of us would say yes, right? Right. Mm-hmm. So that's still missing, even mm-hmm. if you translate it in a gender neutral yeah. way. Well, yeah, well, and the missing part is interesting because if you, if you um, merge the two, you can't write the other midrash. The other midrash is, well, what was the implicit maternal obligations here that are not that are not written right right as opposed to saying actually this is the extent of the parental commitments yes well you know the you know here's the thing the rabbis think it's better to be commanded than to not be commanded right right? Right. and so they're really interested in spelling out it's good to have all these Uh commandments Uh and so if they don't name it if Uh it's just sort of naturalized like oh yeah i guess somebody's feeding it that but that's not a commandment Uh right then it's all it's automatically lesser Uh for them um Mm -hmm. so Mm -hmm. i think that's a problem right right? Right. um okay but there is a place where we find sort of maternal labor as I've been talking about it. And it's not about real mothers. It's about God. And we find some interesting mm-hmm. midrashim that I found very suggestive, both problematic and suggestive at the same time. <laughs> so, for instance, a midrash, a midrash that I found very uh, 
you know, good to think with is from Shir Hashirim. It's on Shir Hashirim where it speaks about your two breasts. Your two breasts are like fawns, you know, very lovely language, right? And so, you know, you, you're reading along in the Midrash and all of a sudden you say, you know, Shnei Shaddai, right? Your breasts, these are Moses and Aaron. What? Mm-hmm. <laughs> these are Moses and Aaron? Oh. Wait a minute, I thought we were talking about breasts, right? Um, no, these are Moses and Aaron, just as these breasts, and I'm reading here from Shur Hashirim Rabbah 451. So if you're interested, you can find that. Uh, sorry, meaning chapter 4, verse 5, first Midrash. Just as these breasts, meaning a woman's breasts, are the glory of a woman, so too Moses and Aaron are the splendor and glory of Israel. Just as these breasts, a woman's breasts, are the beauty of a woman, so Moses and Aaron are the beauty of Israel. Just as these breasts are the honor and praise of a woman, Moses and Aaron are the honor and praise of Israel. Just as these breasts are full of milk, Moses and Aaron fill Israel with Torah. Just as with these breasts, what the woman eats, the infant eats and suckles from them too, from them, so too all the Torah that Moses our teacher taught Aaron as it is written, and Moses told Aaron all the words of God from Shemot, Exodus 4.28. Okay. (laughs) (laughs) Well, that's interesting. Uh, On the one hand, you know, it's wonderful. It's wonderful because um, the breasts here are recognized as both beautiful and life-giving and nurturing, right? They have this kind of dual function, which P.S. in our society is so, which it's so schizophrenic about, yeah, right? right? God forbid you have a place to nurse, yeah. but, you know, women, women's sexualized, you know, breasts are everywhere and, in and advertising. this is the greatest compliment the rabbis could think of. Right. Moshe and Aaron are like the pinnacle of all life. Exactly, know? exactly. Yeah. And of course, you know, it's even better. I don't think yeah. it's, I, I don't think it's in this midrash, but it's somewhere close by, I think they talk about how like one is slightly greater than the other, right? They recognize the asymmetry of all women's bodies, <laughs> which is fantastic, right? So many women are like, oh no, my left breast is bigger than my right breast, right? And these rabbis are like right out there and they they recognize and they, they drash on it. So fantastic. On the other hand, not so fantastic, right? Because um, it's in a way a usurpation of actual women's labor in nursing and appropriating it to talk about um, Torah and Moshe and Aaron, but without, it sort of like um, eviscerates it. It, it, um, it erases in a way the breasts of a woman, which are, if it would be one mm-hmm. thing if they were spoken about elsewhere, right? If we were talking elsewhere about women's nurse uh, nursing as in these kind of lofty terms, but we're not really. And in Mishnah Ketubot, where you talk about like, what are the obligations of a woman? What are the, what's the work that a woman does? Fine. She's nursing, but it's not really, it doesn't have the same kind of laudatory thing. Um, okay. So, so that's a place where we get maternal labor and all of it's kind of complicated, uh, ambivalent ways. But, but then, uh, you know, God as mother, as I suggested before, you know, a number of people have written about this, Alana Pardes, Aviva Zornberg, the, um, about the process of going out of Egypt as birth giving, 
about the contractions as the plagues and about Yitzhak Mitzrayim as going through the birth canal. And then, you know, as I, as I said a moment ago, I was really interested in writing not just about gestation and, and delivery, but about nurturing and about caring, right? Um, they read the man, the mana that is given in the desert, like uh, Torah, that the man is Torah and it's also like mother's milk. So in Yoma, uh, 75a, and its taste, this is a quote from Numbers, was as the taste of a cake, shad, um, baked with oil, hashemen, right? Shad hashemen. Uh, so they drash here, Rabbi Abahu said, shad means breast, like shaddai, or like shaddai, right? Just as a baby, sorry, uh, sorry, wrong association. A cake, right? Shad is like breast. Okay, good. Just as a baby tastes different flavors from the breast, so too with the man. Every time the Jewish people ate it, they found in it many flavors. Mm, well, that's cool, yeah. yeah, which is great. I mean, it's exactly how it works, right? And then a later midrash, just as the breast in which the baby tastes all sweet things, so too was the man to Israel. Just as the breast is the primary food for the baby and all other food is secondary, so too the man was primary and all other food was secondary. So here there's a there's real nurturing that comes from man. Of course, the man is, is the bread falling from heaven, but, um, and I don't have the text on me, it seems, um, it's also understood midrashically to be Torah, right? It's sort of like your first taste of Torah before they get to Har Sinai, right? This is the first experience they have of Shabbat. It's the first kind of experience of boundaries, right? Don't take too much, rest on, stay in your place, etc. And in the same way, you could think about nursing as one example of a kind of early teaching, a teaching in how two people relate to one another, right? The baby is looking up at you, the baby bites, and then you have to stop and then doesn't latch right. And, you know, it's not all like sunshine and puppy dogs, right? It's not all happy. And in fact, later on in Bamidbar, right, we have actually a lot of struggle about the breastfeeding, of struggle about God's feeding of the Israelites, their man, right? It's not all roses, but it's still a powerful kind of Torah before Torah. And so that's kind of where I feel that um, we can start to make some inroads, which is what I've tried to do with the book and to say, what if, what if we recognize on the one hand that there's a kind of devaluation of this daily labor in which women have engaged for centuries, of course, not just in rabbinic texts, but throughout much of uh, many cultures, um, but that that labor, we can see it as a form of teaching and actually as a kind of primary teaching and Torah as in a way, a kind of secondary teaching that is derivative of what we learn from this early experience of being fed by God, of being nurtured by God. And that if that is the foundation, right, and by God who is caring for us and that we all have this tactile experience of people have cared for us, right? The only reason we are here today, any of us listening to this podcast, right, is because someone, someone's cared for us, right? It wasn't always a biological mother. It was all kinds of people. It was webs of people. But our basic experience in the world is of care. And that is how we are able to learn Torah. That is how we are able to do other things that we might want to do in the world because we were created as beings in relationships where we were taken care of 
doesn't mean perfectly, but it means that we are alive and sustained in this, in this basic way. So perhaps that can be a way in which we can bring our, um, some of this labor, some of this love that is missing back into our sources. That's awesome. That's awesome. Um, in, in thinking of the primacy of the breast, I, um, I'm thinking of those who struggle with infertility. I'm thinking of those who have adopted. I'm thinking of those who use formula instead of yeah. nursing. And bracketing all that, um, um, <clears throat> although I, although it doesn't matter what I think as a man, you know, think nursing is a great thing. I mean, because I've, because that's what my wife chooses, so it works for our family. Um, it does feel like challenging to have the primary model be one that's biological mm, mm-hmm. and not affective or yeah. intellectual or cognitive. You know that, I, I, and you've already noted you've already noted sort of the the lack of resources to dwell to, to build off here. And it is super deep, and it's not worth diminishing. Like if the the most primary way in early child learns is through this critical role like that's really yeah I'm glad you're asking that because I really want to make clear that I think it's not simply let's say breast milk like you brought up this thing formula right there's so much that happens between a baby and a feeding parent in that moment of exchange and it doesn't depend on the breast Mm -hmm. right it depends on relationality that is mediating this encounter, right? But so, I, I think the. Uh, I'm, sorry, I'm sorry. No, please. I think part of the relationality of the of the nursing baby is, from my experience, the eye to eye contact. Right. That can happen in a way that fe- no, that that can happen in, in bottle feeding too. Exactly. Right? But, exactly. Uh, because and it's it very seems tempting like sometimes yeah. that we're like, oh, I'm going to just go do my thing. You know, mm-hmm. I'll be reading the newspaper, and yeah, and yeah. you know, I won't. Mm-hmm. Of course, I was also reading the newspaper as I was breastfeeding sometimes, mm-hmm. right? But <laughs> doesn't yeah. mean that you have to be a sort of a, a slave to this mm-hmm. like attachment. That is not mm-hmm. really at all where I would want to go. But there is an interactive mm-hmm. moment there that absolutely it's like you you're at the right distance when you hold that bottle there right yeah, yeah. you're at the same distance and you're looking into the baby the eye the baby's looking at you or getting distracted or whatever it is right there's a whole like world of learning that's happening yeah, there yeah, yeah so um okay so two part question yeah. um what are some of the earliest um um written accounts of Jewish mothers' voices. Um, I imagine it's early to mid-20th century. I don't know. Where, like, I, I, that's, like, uh, um, unmediated. Like, I don't mean, like, Bruria written down by men. Yeah, yeah, And then yeah. she's not even talking about mothering so much. I mean, there's some stuff there. But, but I mean, when, when, when can we start to develop that? And the second question is, how do we go about developing um, a theology, a philosophy, a halakha of Jewish mothering? Yeah. Yeah. Um, well, just to the historical question for a moment. So I'm more Ashkenaz centered. That's just my training. So I know more about sources that are, um, you know, and, and this is really not my field, but Trinas are certainly a place where we hear probably the voices of women, not only, but probably some. Um, and we have some, uh, some women's writings that I'm now Rivka um oy, the name is slipping my mind uh Meneket Rivka is what it's called and I can't remember how she's referred to in English but the Meneket Rivka is a text by a woman named Re- Rebecca that was I believe 
a 17th century text where she's sort of writing a manual, as it were, like a, not an ethical will, but I'm I'm scared to go on record here because I'm I'm really not uh, up on this. But so we have some texts from Ashkenaz um, where women are writing not in a way that we would necessarily relate to, right? It's it's, uh, Glickle, of course, right? Glickle is all about motherhood Mm -hmm. as well as about business and about family and about all kinds of things. Um, so, uh, so we actually have texts that we can find, you know, so the real question is if you're looking for writings by women, you're probably going to be finding stuff about motherhood because they don't have birth control. And so it's gonna show up there. Um, again, I'm, I'm not familiar with, uh, early Sephardic sources, um, and your second question, what's the way forward to developing this? I, um, you know, a piece of me feels like, wouldn't it be great to do sort of a new Talmud that people would write, not only women, not only mothers, right? Uh, just taking into account all kinds of genders and all kinds of experiences, but we're, you know, in a, in a way, I feel like, you know, people have these like Facebook exchanges and blog posts where they're writing about like the daily ins and outs. And that's the stuff of what the rabbis turn into Gemara, right? Those are those discussions. They're like talking about something that happened to them on the street. And I saw this and nobody said anything about it to those guys. Was that okay? And, you know, they're kind of like wrestling with things. And I, so I don't feel like we're, you know, we're not I'm not saying that Facebook posts about your kid are Talmud, but I kind of feel like if we if we took it a notch or two or three up, right, in our discourse of thinking about like, okay, there's deep existential stuff happening here. There's ways of being ethical in the world that I'm trying to wrestle with, right? There's um, there's transmission of things that are important to me that I'm trying to figure out how to do. You know, we do this all the time. And now we need to kind of get together and part, part of what I hear you saying do it is together. That there's a complete um, and utter lacking of Jewish intellectual resources to have any continuity there. Uh, I wouldn't say no. I wouldn't yeah. say that because in a way, I mean, I, my go-to place is thinking yeah. about the Talmud, right? Yeah, right it's right. amazing. Yeah. I love Talmud, right? Yeah. I love how it's like yeah. every part of life and every, you know, so there's a lot. There's missing, of course. Right right? The missing voices of mm-hmm. all kinds of people, yeah. people who weren't part of this, you know, rabbinic small group of Jews, right? However, the kind of thing they were doing, I feel like that's a model, right? And the kinds of questions they're raising and the kinds of dialogue and the multivocality, to me, that's very rich. That's all a resource. Yeah. Amazing. Well, thank you so much. My pleasure. Friends, please be sure to enjoy Professor Mira Benjamin's, uh, uh, books in particular relevant here that tonight was just one section of the obligated self, maternal subjectivity, and Jewish thought. Thanks so much. Thank you. Hi, this is Shmuley Yanklewitz. I hope you enjoyed listening to this fascinating lecture. At VBM, we strive to bring you only the best in Jewish educational programming. To do this, we host a wide variety of events throughout our learning season, including panels, classes, and lectures, like the one you just listened to. Please consider going to www.valleybetemidrash.org. 
and donating to VBM to support meaningful Jewish education in the greater Phoenix Jewish community, indeed all around the country and the world. Thank you so much for listening.